This is Pandemic Buzz, a place where resilience practitioners gather to listen to insights from crisis management, business continuity, and crisis communications professionals. I'm your host, Devin Sermenis, a managing director at Widow Bryant's, a firm solely dedicated to supporting clients to prepare, respond, and recover from devastating events. Throughout this series, you'll hear from subject matter experts from a variety of industries and geographies. The intent is to share insights and best practices that you can adopt during these unusual times, or at the very minimum, some human elements that will further connect us as we adapt to new routines both at work and at home. Hi, Carlo. Thanks for joining us today from The Hague to be a guest on Pandemic Buzz. Thank you, uh, Devin. Can you tell our listeners uh, your name, title, and what your company does? Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is uh, Carlo Parado Kuros. I'm the uh, head of uh, Group Crisis Management for Shell. And Shell is a global oil, gas, and energy company. And my role within Shell is to make sure that we maintain a robust crisis management uh, capability uh, across the whole group. Um, so that's a global responsibility. Shell has offices and operations in multiple countries around the world, and each region has responded very differently to the pandemic and with wildly differing results. How is Shell responding to all these regional differences, such as in Europe, Asia, Africa? Looking at, at COVID and looking, let's say, where we sit and where we have offices and the different mitigations put in place uh, by governments, for example, is also the reason why we have a group coordination team and we don't call it a group crisis management team, but we apply the uh, methodologies we use for managing crisis incidents in Shell. But at the same time, we have given a mandate to country chairs, who are, let's say, yeah, the most senior people in, in the different countries, to make sure that uh, they have the mandate to take decisions and to make sure there is um, a consistent and aligned approach in several in, in the country they're responsible for. And what we do as a group coordination team is to keep an overview and giving guidance. But let's say with that add that country chairs can adjust when that's necessary and to make sure it is fine for the local circumstances they are facing as well. And when you say mandate, that is a, a formal process that the country chairs use up through corporate headquarters? Yeah, the, the mandate is, is more or less powering um, so this comes from our executive committee, and this is empowering country chairs to uh, to do the right thing. And um, it's it's also changing the governance model. So it's really empowering country chairs to make sure that we uh, that we show care and and that we focus on the continuity of our businesses in in all these countries. How far out do your COVID nineteen response plans extend at this point, and can they be easily adjusted should the pandemic continue to grow or even reach an early conclusion? Yeah, so, so part of our let's say crisis management methodology is also to think in scenarios, and um, Shell is well known uh, when it comes to thinking in scenarios. So this um, this means that we are looking at most likely, but also the worst case scenarios, not only for the short term, let's say for uh, the next uh, couple of weeks, uh, months, but also on the longer term, which is covering a year or beyond a year. And um, these work streams or these scenarios are being used to translate into different work streams, which gives us an opportunity to, um, let's say, to really anticipate what we see is coming, but also to uh, be prepared in case it becomes reality. So uh, to answer your question, yes, we are looking, let's say, further beyond, uh, up to five years, even if you look at our scenarios. 
and adjusting them based on the evidence we find. At the same time, uh, we are hence we are very flexible as well to adjust. If it were to happen again, Carla, not COVID-19, but another situation on the scale of this pandemic, how would Shell respond to it differently from how you went through it the first time? I think we're far enough along that you've probably collected some lessons learned from initial efforts. To be honest, we are conducting a lessons learned uh, session um, as as we speak, and we do this this week. In um, um, as the group coordination team, we are meeting twice a week. When we started a couple of months ago, we met daily, but based on this, uh, the circumstances, we we meet uh, twice a week now. And this week, we uh, we are looking and we ask all the country chairs to um, ask certain questions around uh, what did we learn, what's going well, what can be let's say improved. I think there are a lot of things that are going well. I think mainly because we we had this crisis management structure in place already, which is a global structure, and and we very much relied on this structure and also the methodologies we use uh, also during let's say this particular crisis. I think for for one of the the lessons and and, and probably that's one of the key lessons is around business continuity planning and of course business continuity planning in relation to pandemics. Uh, we had a pandemic plan, but um, I think it was Mike Tyson who said everybody has a plan until they get a punch in the face. Uh, <laughs> right. I think what we learned is, uh, first of all, you really have to be ready for worst case scenarios. No one was seeing this. And you have to have the flexibility to also adjust your business continuity plans in this case based on what you're seeing and to be quicker in your response sometimes. The business continuity planning is also one of our work streams. We now have a group of people, I think around 600 people in the whole shallow organization who are having uh, regular contact and uh, meetings with each other just to make sure that uh, we implement, let's say, also the lessons learned. I think this whole pandemic is unique. Uh, the last time we had one, I think, is 100 years ago. So there's a lot to be learned, and I think that's ongoing. But if you ask me what is one of the key learnings yeah, be ready for worst case scenarios like this one. Yeah, and that touches on some of the lessons learned that you've gleaned. What about uh, the current situation is going to make your company stronger or better in the long term? Like, how do you see it maturing? In general, I think, and, and, and also coming back to your previous question. So if this is happening again, if something similar is happening again, the trouble always is that uh, we don't know what's happening again or what's happening next. And of course, we tend to prepare ourselves based on, let's say, what happened in the past. And that's a certain mindset. I think we also learned that we, um, uh, and this is quite an intriguing question, did we see this coming? Of course, we know this happened in China first, and we were listening to several international organizations, and we believed them. And I think even if I look at myself in January, February, I was looking at the situation, I followed the situation, but I, I was pretty sure it would not come over to Europe and later to the, let's say, to the Americas. And this happened, I think, and I was asking myself the question, why is this? Why didn't I or didn't we, let's say, take an action earlier to be better prepared? And we're doing pretty well. But that question, I think, is something we have to take with us and try to answer. So I think you need people who can challenge your thinking who force you more or less to uh, to take a step and to be quicker in in your response maybe so i think that will help us in particular for for similar situations which didn't happen in the past but are likely or maybe unlikely going to happen in the future 
So really try to anticipate, try to think in worst case scenarios and practice and prepare yourself as an organization. So I think doing that more, and we did this and we're doing this as part of our training already, but doing this even more than we did, I think, is, is one, one of the key takeaways from, from this whole uh, event, from this whole pandemic. Yeah. And I was just talking to some clients the other day about return to work planning, but, you know, how introspective everybody is being at this point. And I think as it started to unfold and uh, gather speed around the world end of February, March, everyone had different um, views on how long it would be, what return to work really meant, like how long will we be out of the offices? Everybody thought, you know, a month, maybe two. So the conversation is just rapidly matured as well as these different phases of the pandemic and realizing just the scale of it all has really taken effect on companies and how they're thinking about planning and how they're trying to cover all aspects of it. So I'd agree with you in terms of we're all pausing for a moment and being introspective about why didn't we see this or what did we see three, four months ago? Because it was a much different world then. Yeah, indeed. And we don't know where we are. So uh, <laughs> we are now seeing, let's say, spikes in infection rates again. Some countries are still in the first wave. Some countries are afraid for having a second wave. And we see this in a part of Europe now and, and this being discussed as well. So the question indeed is how long will it take? And I think we have to realize this can take months or even years, uh, depending also if the uh, vaccine becomes available. There is some good progress. So uh, the outlook is quite positive uh, from that point of view, but uh, we still don't know how long it will take. So uh, yeah, absolutely agree with what you said, Devin. Carla, we talked a little bit about lessons learned, some things that will make the company stronger. Looking at kind of communication strategies, during times of crisis, one of the first internal things you look at is your communications. Can you offer us some tips on defining communication strategies from a crisis management or business resilience perspective? Yeah, I, I think we shouldn't make it more complicated than it is. I think if you talk about communications also in this situation, I already mentioned that we empowered, let's say, our country chairs. So what is important is communication should be two-way. It's not only coming from, let's say, the group or the center. Um, so we are having uh, weekly discussions with all our country chairs to really listen what's happening in their countries. And this is helping the group coordination team to uh, really understand what, what is happening overall. But we're also asking for what is the guidance? What would you like us to do? That's lesson number one. It's a two-way conversation. Secondly, it, uh, the communication should be insight-led. So don't start to speculate. That's the, one of the principles we apply is uh, there should be scientific evidence as well. Because otherwise, I think you can go in all kinds of directions. A third point is it should be consistent. And of course, these two are going well together, insights-led or scientific, let's say, evidence-led and uh, consistent. Fourthly, repeat. Repeat your message. Uh, don't think that if you tell people uh, only once that they will understand. So repeat uh, as many times as needed that the organization really understands what we want to achieve. And then finally, uh, also uh, make use of the different channels. That's either the Shell webpage is um, the internal social media tools we have, some video messages from, from leaders, uh, country chairs to their own staff in country, etc. So I think these um, are the principles uh, we, we apply and we deem them necessary. 
That was a good rundown of the principles that you apply for uh, broad communication strategy. This next question is going to drill down a little bit more into leadership communications. So Shell's diverse. It's diverse in cultures, opinions, ideas, and voices. In an organization that's so diverse, what are the pros and or cons in getting a cohesive message out from leadership? Yeah, I agree. Of course, we we are in all regions across the world, so you have different cultures, opinions. But I think what's important is that our core values, they are alike in every single region. So honesty, integrity, respect. So I think that's core and also our messaging, being honest, integral and respectful to everyone. What we do as a group coordination team is uh, we have a weekly update with messages for our senior leaders and for our country chairs. And we ask them to, and again, to translate that into what does that mean for you at a country level or at a local level. But this is the message we want to get across based on the principles I just mentioned. And that's important. So we put a lot of effort in making sure that the messages we hear back are also distributed to the rest of the organization if they are worthwhile to to share with with the rest of the organization. And the senior leaders and country chairs, uh, they are are making a big part of that. And hence we gave them um, or we give them weekly guidance and weekly updates and inputs to, uh, to bring that message across. This next question is two parts. The first part is, do you believe that the remote workforce is here to stay and that it's going to be a permanent element of your company? And the second part is, if so, what are you doing to improve the remote work experience for your employees? And this is getting into like the future health of your workforce. Yeah, let me start with uh, the second part of your question. What we did as an organization across the whole organization is to, uh, because the care for people and the safety of people is uh, is is most important. And We understand that if people work from home, some people like it, some people don't like it, some people may feel isolated, but also um, the working conditions at home are different. So we ask people to uh, fill in a questionnaire. This was an online questionnaire with, um, with feedback straight away to see if the setup at home is okay uh, when it comes to a laptop, your chair, your desk, your screen you use, et cetera, et cetera. And if based on the feedback and the answers given by our employees, the answer was not, then we will support them to make sure that they get the right equipment. But also, uh, if necessary, that they are being asked to contact our health department for a follow-up discussion. So I think that's, that's one. Secondly, of course, the, uh, the circumstances, they, they have a different impact on people. Everyone is different. Some can deal with it, some less, I would say. So the psychological impact is important as well. And we're working on this with a program and the health division is working on this to, um, to also share with other leaders, with all leaders in the organization, how to help and support your staff. And we also make use of third parties so everyone can dial in or contact, let's say, a third party to offer support, to have a discussion if people feel overwhelmed or whatever. So I think that's important and that's why we put a lot of effort in that as well. Going to your first question, working from home, will there be a permanent element? It's too early to say, but if I have to answer your question, I would say to some extent, but I don't think that we will become an organization which is only working from home or the the staff members are working from home. 
I think the office is more than only um, a desk to work at. I think it's it's also the apart from the formal communications, it's also a place where you can meet your peers, your colleagues, but also of course your customers, your clients, where you can share ideas, where you can also have your informal informal communications, have lunch or coffee with someone, talk about other stuff, and I think it helps. Though I'm not an expert, but I think it helps to build the culture you want to have in your organization. So it's maybe too early to answer that question, but I believe we will not become an organization. I've seen other organizations, that's their choice, but we will probably not become an organization only working from home. Will it change? I think the answer is yes, of course. We have the experience of working from home. We also start to see that um, you don't need to have a face-to-face meeting all the time with the tools we have, uh, like the tool we are using now. Uh, we are using MS Teams, which works quite and pretty well. So it's also, I think what we learned is you have other efficient and sometimes efficient, sorry, and sometimes even better ways to work together as well. So my take would be to, uh, it will be a combination of uh, working from home to some extent, but definitely also having an opportunity to meet each other uh, in the office, in The Hague or elsewhere in the world. So those are good comments on the health of the workforce. Let's shift to the health of customer relationships and customer relationship management. So at a time when some regions of the world are forced to maintain as much distance from each other as possible, how do you enable remote customer experiences with a personal touch, especially for the leadership teams you and your crisis management team support across the globe? The whole situation asked for a different approach. Uh, so uh, maybe for the listeners, our, uh, and when I say our, that's the group crisis management customers are mainly, of course, the crisis management teams across the globe as well. We have around 60, and in particular, the country chairs. So during, let's say, the whole COVID situation, situation we are in right now, all my regional managers, and I have four regions, so four regional managers are in contact with, with all the country chairs to support, to answer questions they may have. And of course, this is done in, in a remote way by using, again, the same tools I mentioned. But I think what is important is to, um, and, and that doesn't differ from, let's say, a face-to-face engagement, but being available, visible in a different way, but mainly to listen and to offer support. I think what I was really keen on when I took this position a couple of years ago is really to build partnerships so uh, and to build relationships. And what's very helpful in particular in, this, in these times is that we have these relationships. So uh, we know our country chairs, regional managers know to contact, let's say, country chairs and crisis management teams, but also vice versa. The time we invested in building these relationships as well. So I think that helps and, um, and they know they can rely on us and we can rely on them as well. Yeah, let me pause here, Devin. That was good, Carla. And I think across the services industry, from my perspective, the same thing stands. I, I hear a lot from customers outside of existing project or direct client support. They really just want to ping uh, and get ideas, use myself and my colleagues as resources. They may want just different opinions or an outside perspective on things. So again, that is enabled all through the existing relationships that we have built up uh, on a personal level, uh, as well as that company level. So last question for the listeners, when things open up around the world, deferrals or cancellations and investing in growth initiatives like crisis management, business continuity will be removed. 
What are some of the new areas in these resilience disciplines that your company is investing in? Like, what, where is the future growth of crisis management or business continuity or crisis communications within Shell? Maybe it's it's a corporate word. I'm I'm not sure, but continuous improvement. I think that's what we apply not only today but also in in the last few years. I think being open to uh, to listen, and I think you mentioned it well, uh, to also other people outside your organization to really have that outside-in perspective. Um, I think is important because we can learn a lot from each other. So I'm connected with peers, let's say with my peers in other organizations uh, outside Shell, um, and we're sharing ideas as well. So I think that was already in place, but I think this showed us, this whole incident shows us that we have to continue doing so. That's one. Uh, Maybe I mentioned already, what I really try to implement in the organization is what I call the three P's, prepare, predict, prevent, which is more around anticipation. Um, and I mentioned this before, is to rethink really through most likely, but also the worst case scenarios. What are the risks the organization is facing potentially? What are other threats coming to us? And also the unknown ones and try to discuss with other people in the organization, inside and outside the organization, to get that insight as well, and then to use and practice these scenarios with, uh, with, with the different teams at country and at group level. Because I, I think it helps to, first of all, create awareness, uh, but secondly, also to identify any gaps, if any. Um, and that gives you an opportunity to, to become better. I think what, uh, what we're currently doing, um, just to deal with the circumstances, is to improve our tools we have. We are also assessing teams on performance, and normally that's done face-to-face. But we are now, um, I think, close to a test phase where we're going to use other tools to help us and to also being able to assess teams uh, in a virtual way. Mind you also, these teams we are, let's say, testing have to, or assessing, have to work from the homes as well. So really trying to improve the tools, how they can even, not only during a training or assessment, but also during a real crisis, uh, make better use of the different tools we have. And I think that's, of course, I didn't mention before, but that's one of the key learnings as well. And um, and that's what we're going to implement or implementing uh, right now. I think business continuity is uh, really an area we will invest in. Yeah, you can have a pandemic pl- planning. I will not repeat Mike Tyson's uh, quote here. <laughs> uh, but I think it's, um, so what can we learn from that? So you can, and of course you need a pandemic plan. We learned from that, but probably you need other plans as well. And we have these plans. But how to be able to keep them aligned with what's happening outside in society, in the world, and how to create that flexibility uh, or to create this flexible muscle to re be on top of things when they come to service. It's a bit aligned with uh, with the prepare, predict, prevent mindset that we are trying to and we are, let's say, implementing in the organization. But these are probably areas we will invest a lot on. I think many organizations, many peers I'm talking to, I think they all come to the conclusion, business continuity, but also supply chain and the way we set up businesses across the world uh, probably will uh, need to be reassessed as well. So we have central hubs, but we see the vulnerability of these central hubs as well when it comes to supply chain, for example. 
So that needs a different mindset as well. So uh, we were struggling with, and I think that's not only the Shell organization, but the whole world with uh, several uh, tools, masks, for example, uh, at a country level. Many countries were facing issues. Yeah, and why is that? I think that's that's a big question to be asked by uh, society and uh, and by the different businesses and how to become more resilient in, in that area as well. Uh, let me pause here. Yeah, and I think those last comments are exactly right and kind of picking up on a trend that I'm seeing in terms of, you know, investing in resilience functions and disciplines is no longer a luxury buy. They are becoming critical to sustaining operations and protecting your brand and reputation as an organization. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, and, and overall, I think we are a resilient organization. There was no interruption in supply. And I think that's great to see, but of course we can always, and we always should try to become better as well. And that's not only for us, but I think that's for whole society and for many other businesses as well. So uh, there's still a lot to be learned, but uh, I'm quite optimistic, uh, as you know. <laughs> Perfect. Let's finish on an optimistic note. Carlo, thanks again. Really appreciate your candidness, sharing your perspectives from a global perspective from Shell and in running the crisis management group. Really appreciate your time. And thanks again for being a guest on Pandemic Buzz. No, Devin, thank you. It was really great to uh, to be your guest. And um, of course, I hope that we uh, are able to see each other face to face in the near future as well. But, uh, but no, thanks and thank you. Thanks again for listening to Pandemic Buzz. Please like and share this podcast with your colleagues and be sure to catch our next episode.